Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you here. As uh, wait, football's back. We're back from the bye. How was the bye week, gentlemen? It was solid. What did I do? Oh, I went to two football media availabilities. So really, there was no football <laughs> bye week. How about you, Ela? It was nice, and I just want to thank personally Mother Nature and Major League Baseball for washing out baseball to allow us to record this episode of the podcast so Murph could be locked in on the episode instead of <laughs> focusing on the Yankees and the Astros. I, so I appreciate I, Major League Baseball pushing it back. I could not agree. I, 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 I could not agree with you more on that. Um, the uh, We've got a lot to talk about actually in this episode. A lot of little things to talk about, but we're going to start obviously with previewing the football game against ECU as UCF returns from the bye week. It's been a, feels like it's been like a month since that loss at Cincinnati, but um, but here we go. Uh, UCF is a 33-point favorite. We'll break that down. Um, we got a lot to talk about in terms of um, soccer. Uh, we were, and, and we're also going to talk about some news a little bit with... Um, uh, Eric, you had, uh, you had uh, Kendall Rogers on, uh, on, your, uh, on your podcast, on the, uh, on the In the Circle Softball podcast, um, talking about the third paid full-time assistant job for baseball and softball. So we got a little bit of sound from that. Um, we will also um, hear from uh, hear men's soccer. Uh, we've got Scott Calabrese um, and uh, you know, a little bit of post from that. So I want to talk a little bit more about men's soccer. And then we'll wrap up with a little basketball and football news. Um, hey, Taco Fall, obviously. B.J. Taylor also signing an NBA contract. He signed, in, he signed a uh, Exhibit 10 deal with the L.A. Clippers. We'll yak about that for a little bit. And then also... Eric, I know you're so excited to break down the results of the XFL player draft and three nights going in that. So Bam. we will yeah. we will day, we will break that puppy down in granular fashion. But first let's start talking about um, the UCF football against ECU. Knights are back from the bye week. Um, how many days off? Fifteen? Fifteen days off? Is that right, Murph? Because they played on a Friday that- night. Yeah, I mean they would have well they would have fourteen days off because you wouldn't count Saturday when you're playing right. Yes. So, uh, and uh, some would argue that they still have the week off. I'm not saying that, but um, you, East... you can say it, Jeffrey. Just say it. Okay. Uh, well, uh, this if you're going to pick a team other than UConn that you want to come back from the bye week against, I would say you know East Carolina is a pretty good. Pretty good opponent to come back for uh, to come back for UCF is a thirty three point favorite over the Pirates who don't let that three and three record fool you, ladies and gentlemen, because their only wins have come against Gardner Webb, William and Mary, and at Old Dominion by three. Um, they are coming off a loss two weeks ago uh, to Temple at home by ten, and uh, and <laughs> congratulations, you you get two weeks off to face UCF. Uh, in Orlando, the Pirates. Um, it's been a little bit. It's to say it's been a rough year um, is a little bit of an understatement. We were we were th- looking forward to some improvement from them, but they really haven't done it. They're 99th in the country in total offense, 51st in total defense, which is not bad, but not spectacular. Um, their red zone defense is uh, horrendous at t- tied for 111th. So. 
Uh, well, Brian Murphy, if you're going to work on your, your red zone offense, which is one of the things that UCF wants to work on, who better to work on it against than the team that's tied for 111th in the country in red zone defense? Am I right? Sounds about right. <laughs> I think, you know, for as much as we can talk about UCF's issues, one of the issues they haven't had is really putting away the teams that they should. And while they've had close games with some difficult competition, or at least I would say top 40 competition, they really beat up on the also Rams pretty well. And they've done that throughout the season. I think they'll do that here. I mean, when you look at this, when you look at this ECU offense and you just take out their Gardner Webb inflated 48 points back in early September, you have you have offensive totals of 6, 10, 19 and a win, 24, 20, 17. Uh, this team can't score, at least certainly not enough for UC, with UCF. Um, the defense is not bad, but again, this should not be much of a task for the Knights. Holt Nailers is back uh, at quarterback for ECU. Uh, he's got six touchdown passes on the year. He's averaging 190 yards a game. His top target is Blake Prohl. And if that last name sounds familiar to it, it, sh- it should. I, he is Ricky Prohl's son. Is that right? I hope so. You just said it. Um, well, anyway, yeah, he is the son. As, of, I'm, I'm, as we frantically look for who uh, his father is. Well, yeah, no, Ricky oh, Prohl. Oh, he's the son of Ricky Prohl. He he's is the, the son, son of Ricky of Prohl. Ricky Prohl. Uh, well, I, well I'm trying to, I was trying to figure out, like, what's the connection? Because I know Ricky Prohl didn't play at ECU, but Ricky Prohl played at Wake. Um, yes. And uh, and has the and has the uh, unusual um, uh, uh, distinction of scoring uh, two of the most significant meaningless touchdowns in Super Bowl history. But anyway, um, Eric, as you look at this uh, at this ECU wow. squad and what UCF has to do, what do you want to see? What do you want to see the Knights do in this game? Well, first of all, that just reminded me of the uh, Thursday night NFL game a few weeks ago when Troy Aikman found out that. Cup's dad was his backup quarterback in Dallas was on the roster of the Cowboys like in the early 90s he just realized that he's like hey hope you're doing well <laughs> hey what do you know is that um so that that was funny uh well I think for UCF I think you just wanted to come out and play well and at your first point you know jump on kind of like you did look East Carolina I think East Carolina is going to be headed in the right direction Mike Houston's the new head coach in his first year coming over from James Madison where they build a national title program there at FCS level. Uh, very highly regarded. Obviously the Scotty Montgomery deal didn't work and I think this is an important hire because I do think if you're the American, East Carolina is an important program to try to get back to being good at football. And they really haven't been the same, ironically enough, since the uh, Hale Perriman game back in 2014 when UCF won the game on the Hail Mary where Rashad Perriman caught the touchdown to win the conference championship in the last game of the season at East Carolina. East Carolina has not been the same. Obviously, they fired Ruffin McNeil, which has turned out to be a terrible move, considering he had an offensive coordinator by the name of Lincoln Riley, who I've heard has done pretty good things since. Uh, So, you know, they've had some troubles there. um, And I think they're going to be – they they are much more competitive. They're going to come out ready to play. So I think UCF has to be ready to play and not take them lightly. Uh, I think that's what John want to see is coming out aggressive and jump on them like they've done on teams for the most part here at home. Home's not been the problem here, guys. It's not been the home field. Uh, UCF's played fine at home. It's just been uh, away from home. 
by the way, for those uh, those who are wondering about it, um, since ECU, since that Hale Perriman game, uh, ECU lost the bowl game after that, and they've since they've gone five and seven, three and nine, three and nine, and now three and three. So, so they have going that. <laughs> yep, they're uh, yeah the curse of the curse of Rashad Perriman. <laughs> it's true. Um, over under for this game is sixty two and a half, and yeah, Murph, you've been around the team. There's really not much that we can talk about here to break down this game, other than it's just it's time for the for the it's time to show that you know you're ready that they're ready to play, and and the offense has worked out its kinks during that bye week. Do you get the sense that they're that they've done that or what? Yeah, well, I mean, I get the sense insofar as that you know they say they're you know they're ready to play. Which what else would they say? Right. It, it would be news if they came out and be like, "Man, that bye week was awful. We are just not ready to play." <laughs> Could you imagine if they said that? <laughs> we are, we are definitely unprepared for this. We're, we do not want to play. We did nothing but play Madden all week. It was terrible. Yes, but I mean, you know, I think a lot of guys you know, kind of openly talked about how a couple of things. One, they needed this break because when you're a program like UCF and you lose two out of three games. Um, it, it kind of hurts your ego a little bit, especially when you don't lose for two years. <laughs> so I think this break can, comes at a good time for them to sort of reset because um, they they kind of needed to take a break. They they you know after losing two out of three, they needed to take a breath, and so that helps. Also, I I, I do think that they have a bit of a chip on their shoulder, knowing in in the areas in which they have come up short uh, recently. That includes red zone offense and red zone defense. Uh, they got to force more turnovers. They got to run the ball better. Um, things like that. You know, they got to hold on to the ball. Dylan Gabriel's got to be better at protecting the football. Um, I think things like that have been pounded into their skulls. They they know what their weaknesses have been, and I think they're ready to come out after the bye. And um, as tight end uh, Jake Hescock said today, uh, Wednesday during practice, after practice, Hescock said, you know, we're, we're ready to come out and make a statement. So that's what you should expect to see from this team especially against a team that, again, they should bulldoze. The schedule works out like this uh, for uh, for UCF, at least. Yeah, they're, they're, this, is, this is what I think is the big thing right here, and we'll, and we'll cap it off on this, is that, you know, I know, I know that we hear all the time about, you know, don't look too far ahead. By the way, this game will be on CBS Sports Network. Uh, kickoff is at uh, 7 p.m. at Spectrum. Um, the next game is at Temple. And that is going to be a monster game. Um, possible tiebreaker implications if Temple defeats Cincinnati um, down the line. Of course, there's nothing really that UCF can do about that anyway. But what is is there anything that we can glean from this um, in preparation for that game that you think might give us a little bit of hint as to what we're going to look at, other than obviously what we just talked about with the red zone offense and all that? Not really. I think this is like the UConn game in which, like, look, they boat raced UConn, right, as expected, and then had probably the worst offensive showing, at least the worst offensive quarter I'd ever seen them play against in the third quarter at Cincinnati. So... There's no, I don't, I don't know what you can take from one game to the next. The opponents are totally different. The locations and atmospheres are totally, are totally different. Um, but mm-hmm. I, you know, so again, I don't think we're going to come out of this this ECU game saying that all things are solved because it 
MCU, and I, I really don't know what you take away from this. Yeah. Um, other games in the American, by the way, Houston is at UConn. Uh, the, the big game is at 3.30, and this will be on ESPN2 on Saturday. Temple at SMU. That game is a monster game for both of those teams. Uh, South Florida is at Navy. Tulsa is at Cincy. That's also at 3.30. That'll be on ESPNU. The Navy game is on CBS Sports Network. Uh, and then uh, Tulane... Uh, is at Memphis, uh, and that's at seven o'clock on ESPN two as well. Across from the that's UCF a big game, game. that is a big game. game. Actually, yeah, that's the bigger game because I think that's the Western Division. Can you know how does Memphis respond after losing at Temple on a controversial reversal on an instant replay on a ball on a fourth down that looked like was a catch, and then they reversed it to a not a catch, and they used a, an angle that can only be used because it was in an NFL stadium. So. A lot of controversy there. How Memphis bounces back against Tulane, who, you know, very quietly only has the one loss at Auburn. So I think that's a huge game in the West. Uh, you mentioned the SMU Temple game. We'll see how Temple responds on the road against the Mustangs. The Mustangs, the only undefeated left in the American, and this is the concern if you're an American Conference fan, and heck, even if you're a UCF fan, if you think you're trying to get back into the the mix of New Year's Sixes, I think everybody's going to beat each other up and eliminate each other. Yeah, I, that's that's the thing, and you know, I think if you're the if you're in the league right now, you're the American. You probably prefer SMU right now to kind of ride this out because otherwise, you're probably going to look at a one or two lost teams battling it out in the championship game. Uh, if you're a UCF fan, Eric, who are you rooting for in those games? Are you rooting for, Are you rooting for Temple to beat SMU, or are you rooting for SMU to beat Temple and kind of? knock them down a peg in the East standings. So that's a cross-divisional game. And, you know, I wrote earlier this week about, you know, that yes, there is still a path for UCF to get to a New Year's Six Bowl. I know that you don't think it's likely. I get that. Um, but so long as there's, so long as UCF can still win the conference, there's still a shot. So there is a scenario, it's a very weird and rare scenario, but there is a scenario where you could have a three-way tie in the East if Temple, Cincinnati, and UCF all go one and one against each other, and then win all the rest of their conference games. So, I don't know how are you how are you calculating that one, Eric? I think I think as you're a UCF fan, you just got to worry about winning your own games. I, I, I think we're. I know, go. but you know, fans they don't do that. You know. Jeff, what are we doing here? What are we doing here with all these with all these machinations and permutations of well, if this then that? Like it's we got six weeks left. We got six great, games great left. Great app, by the way. If this then that. I was just gonna, anyway. Go ahead. <laughs> no, just way too early for this. Right. And you, I, I, go I ahead. agree with Murph. I agree with Murph, and I think it's going to be a moot point when Temple loses to SMU. So that that's going to go out the window. So, um, and I still think Cincinnati's got a loss in them in the schedule. Probably won't be two, though. That's the problem. That's the question. Is it going to be one or the UCF's best shot to win the division, in my opinion, is to win out and hope Cincinnati loses twice. I would not. Because here's the thing. You lose to Temple, with all this is irrelevant conversation. Um, True. And, you know, it, so I, I just think to me, I know it's cliche and it's coaches talk, but we do. We have – this team has not proved – this team does not deserve the benefit of the doubt that, oh, we're just going to win out. They haven't proven that. They, they got to – let's win a game away from the state of Florida first before we kind of uh, look ahead here and think we're going to jump teams. And, and, and that's the other problem is, as you saw this week in the bye week, 
UCF's not guaranteed to move up in polls like people think. Uh, they dropped in the polls here. You saw Appalachian State jump them. And I think that's going to continue. If a team like San Diego State, for example, wins out, and they're going to probably jump UCF before this is all said and done. So there's a lot of ifs to worry about that stuff. I think the only thing, and Merce right, the only thing you worry about is win out, take care of what you can control, win your games, and then whatever happens, happens. Yeah. So, uh, well, first opportunity to do that, obviously, Saturday at 7 on CBS Sports. UCF, again, 33-point favorite over um, ECU. Before we leave football on the table, uh, there is some uh, alumni news to pass along. Um, the uh, XFL, Vince McMahon's apparent, you know, second attempt at making a uh, at making a football league that's that's not the NFL work, um, held their uh, draft, their inaugural draft on uh, Tuesday, and actually finished it today. So the way they did the draft was kind of interesting. They drafted by positions. Um, and so with uh, with skilled players, offensive linemen, and defensive front seven. So uh, three former UCF Knights have been drafted um, by XFL teams. Two of them by the Tampa Bay Vipers. Excellent team name, by the way. Rennell Hall and Jordan McRae, who uh, both played for the Orlando Apollos of the Alliance of American Football. Interestingly enough, gentlemen, the um, head coach and general manager of the Vipers, Mark Tressman. Uh, former head coach of the Chicago Bears, longtime coach in the Canadian Football League. Um, the uh, uh, also being selected, uh, Tony Gerard, who also played for the uh, Apollos. Uh, Gerard was selected by the uh, by the Dallas franchise in the XFL. So, um, so we have three nights, um, at least on the initial rosters here. Well, I saw- didn't I see where Plummer and Matthew Wright also are joining them? Yes. So Plummer, Terrence Plummer and Matthew Wright are also on the Vipers roster as oh of they now. were okay. So they so they must have been signed afterwards, right? They they were they were they were uh, I guess added in uh, phase five of the draft. Now again, I'd like to point out that I have no idea what that means, <laughs> but they're on the team. They they have a job. They have a job. That's a good thing. Yeah. What's interesting in reading this, a lot of people think they've actually been surprised and the the quality of players they've gotten on this. Some people think actually they got a better rosters overall in the league than they did on the AF. I mean, they've gotten more guys from the CFL. Look at some of the quarterbacks they've gotten in the league. Some people actually like the roster that the XFL has gotten. What what that means down the road, who knows? I you know that that remains to be seen. But I'm happy for Terrence. I've known Terrence for a long time, so I'm yeah. happy to see him play in the States. And I've definitely seen – I think there's an interesting thing that a lot of the Canadian football players are playing in this league, which I don't think we saw that, Jeff, in the other league. Uh, that's true because they're you – know, I don't know what it was. I guess that the guys who ran the, the alliance, they didn't want to tread on the CFL's ground, but – Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon doesn't care about that. <laughs> so um, it, 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 let me let me tell you a little bit about Vince McMahon and how much he cares about things like territories, right? So, um, so well, I'm happy to see a bunch of UCF guys playing playing nearby in the state of Florida. I, re, you know, that's that's good. I'm sorry that it's not in Orlando, but hey, Tampa's not that far away, right? Kind of wish Orlando would have be in this league. It's kind of you know, yeah, kinda work out in that regard, but. Hopefully, are we rooting uh, for expansion, Eric? Are we rooting for expansion? Is Vince going to buy the 
Is Vince going to buy the trademarks? You know more about that backstory, right? Because I guess originally, because the uh, the, the, uh, the alliance, they kind of jumped in first, so they grabbed Orlando. I mean, obviously, Orlando, right. for those that don't know, I mean, that's a huge market for the WWE. They have their performance enhanced uh, uh, training center up at full sale. So it, Orlando's been a very good market to WWE. So I'm sure they would have wanted Orlando, but I guess the alliance took it. And I guess, yeah, yeah. I, I actually... It stinks in a way. If they could expand, yeah, I think you would. If I were them, I would would purchase the Apollos. Why not? They were well, the one success story as far as the alliance, as far as interest and attendance, right? I think. Well, it was Orlando and San Antonio were were the two yeah. the two markets that were the most successful for for the alliance, and yeah, I'm sure that the that the trademarks and all that kind of stuff is probably tied up in in legal battles right now that are that are you know as the AAF as the pieces are kind of picked up and tossed into the dumpsters. But um, I, I would not be surprised. Let me put it this way. I would not be surprised that if the XFL is a success on the field and with and on television, and all indications seem to be that Vince is actually taking the football seriously this time around since the guy who's running the league is not well, Vince. The media, but the media, but Oliver, Oliver Luck... He's got a better media relationship, better TV deal with FS1, uh, who's got a big, you know, they spent a ton of money on SmackDown and ESPN. So you're not going to see the media crush the XFL like it did 18 years ago. Yeah. I think they're going to be proponents. I saw Joe Clatt was a part of their coverage. Tim Brando apparently is going to call him a game. So the, I, I think the production and all that will be fine. It's just, you know, does anybody care? Uh, will Time will tell. The bad news, Murph, is I think this is going to probably enhance the fact that WWE Raw is just going to be a terrible show from here on out, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's focused on football, right? That's a low bar to clear. I just can't believe that we literally spent two minutes talking about XFL expansion. Oh, <laughs> oh it is UCF. Blame the UCF guys. Look, look, well, this is our parting shot here. Okay, listen, Vince, if you're listening, just buy the XFL marks and expand to Orlando. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, you know, we're, we're okay with it. We're, we're happy with, you know. Wouldn't it be cool to see the to see the Orlando Apollos and the Tampa Bay Vipers? We could have like an XFL war on I four. I could not kill it. <laughs> and by the way, I would be interested in working as long as the check actually clears. That, that is right. also a good point. Um, <clears throat> by the way, defensive line coach for Dallas for the Dallas Renegades, where Tony Draw is going to be playing. Jim Jeffcoat, long time, long time, very long time NFL uh, defensive lineman uh, from Long Branch, New Jersey. Originally played for the. Dallas Cowboys for over a decade and was a uh, and was the defensive line coach with the Orlando Apollos as well. So there's your connection there. So, all right, um, no more XFL talk. When we get back, we're going to talk about men's soccer. RPI is out. Uh, they get the overtime victory over Tulsa, and are they now a national title contender? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Stick around. Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here. So uh, follow us, by the way, at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. We have a lot to talk about in the so-called Olympic sports. I hate that designation, but there's really no other way for us to say it. Um, and I want to start with uh, men's soccer. So the RPI, first RPI of the season came out by the way nicer at number 11 in the united soccer coaches poll but 
but UCF after that that thrilling three three tie that we that we had with um, with uh, at SMU, uh, they go to they come back home and play Tulsa, go up to nothing, give up a pair of goals. But then Eric Lopez, you were calling play by play for this game, uh, and it ended in thrilling fashion, did it not? Yes, uh, maybe a little too dramatic for UCF fans, but correct. I mean, they had a 2-0 lead. Tulsa came back, got two goals in the second half, forced it to overtime. And then the Knights get a red card because uh, a player had two yellows in the match, so he gets an automatic red card, which means you're out of the match. That was Pepper, one of their defenders. So now the Knights are playing a man short in that last overtime period, the second overtime period, but they found a way to win. Uh, Cal Jennings, we talk about how what a great goal scorer he is. But he finds a way to make plays. He steals the ball, takes it up, and then you know the Tulsa defense is trying to catch him, and he makes a beautiful cross pass over to uh, Vivi, the freshman, who puts it in the back of the net for a dramatic 3-2 overtime win and keep their unbeaten streak extended now to 10. Um, and that's a huge win because the way it's looking like right now in the conference, it's UCF and SMU, and it's going to come down to is anyone going to blink between now and the end of the regular season? as far as the regular season championships concerned. You can't afford even a draw at this point could be costly from a standpoint of a conference championship. So it's a big win for UCF. Their fifth time they've played an overtime match this year already. Uh, I believe it's the third straight match they've played in overtime and fortunate to get the win. First here is Cal Jennings describing that last play, what he saw with his vision to set up BV on the game-winning goal. Yeah, well, I, I picked up the ball. Um, it was great, great pressing by uh, Jonas to kind of make the ball predictable where it was going. Um, I was able to do the work, get in there, um, and then I saw uh, two players to my to my right, and I knew uh, it was a, it was a three on one. If I, if I could get it to them, they'd have an open net um, and, and a better opportunity to score than I would. So uh, that's what I did, and, and luckily the ball got through. Um, and, and great finish from Gino. And then there was one more sound clip too, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, there's some concern here, Jeff. This second match in a row, the UCF has kind of you know let a two-goal lead uh, disappear, and Coach Calabrese is the first to say, yeah, that's something that we need to work on. We have to be willing to work for 90 minutes. And, and when you look at us, uh, you know, we're 2-0 up against SMU. They get a goal. We're 3-1 we're up against SMU. They get goals back. Um, and so, and they were avoidable. And so 90 minutes of concentration, 90 minutes of effort, 90 minutes of competing is the only way you can give yourself that best chance to get the right result. So uh, I'm happy that we continue to get good results because it's always better to learn while you're winning as opposed to have to take a loss and then you know deal with the consequences of the loss and still have to, to learn the same lessons so you know for, for that I'm, I'm really happy we got the result but but if we want to achieve things kind of put in the postseason I mean even with the rest of our conference season uh, we're, we're gonna have to address this we're gonna but, have to better. but your team responded I mean things were not going your way and yeah. you regrouped at overtime was there something you told the team in between the end of the second half and overtime there to change things a little bit I, I, I think it's what they knew which was that they they were outplayed for 45 minutes and uh, they were outworked and so that that was brought to their attention and that we, we can't play the way we want to if if we don't do those things that's that's kind of the prerequisite to play possession oriented football um, and and to build up through the back and and, and, and to get results 
are, are, are those things. And so our guys, they did respond. They, they did respond. And they, and they were tired and we were man down. Um, and so that overtime was better. It was, it was certainly better. But again, we, we can't do 45 minutes, be uh, at a really high standard with our work rate and our concentration. And, and then another 45 minutes not have those same standards. So it's, it's something that we know uh, and, and that we have to address because, you know, these guys have high standards for, for themselves too. Um, they're upset that that game went that way. They're upset that the SMU result wasn't different and, and that we didn't take care of a 2-0 lead. So, you know, it's not just the coaches. They, 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 they want this for themselves. And, and I think we all know what, they, what we need to do. Coach Scott Calabrese after the match talking to him there. So, look, they, they got to clean that up here. Playing nine, They got to play full 90 minutes. They have a target on their back. And uh, they got to kind of stay sharp. They can't afford to cough up those leads like they have. And I think they understand that. We'll see now what happens, Jeff. They, they're going to go on the road at UConn this Sunday. And then after that, the big one against South Florida and Tampa. And you mentioned the RPI. They're number four RPI. This is a team that's playing for a conference championship, playing for a national seed and potentially try to put themselves in position, Jeff, where they could literally play every NCAA tournament match at home up until the College Cup in Cary, North Carolina. Yeah, now, okay, let's talk about this for a second because they have five games left at UConn, at South Florida, home for Stetson and Memphis, and then at Cincinnati. You mentioned that they are number four in the RPI. I think that's the that's the big story, I think, for me that came down this week. They're number four. They are behind... Number one, Virginia, who's 10 0 1. St. John's out of the Big East at 11 and 1. And then Wake Forest, who's 10 and 2. And one of, and actually, UCF right now at 8 1 and 2. That lone loss was to Wake Forest. Um, Georgetown at 5. SMU's at 6. Uh, down the line out of the uh, American. You don't see another American team until South Florida at 39. So, um, okay. Number four in the RPI is spectacularly high. And I think it's the highest UCF has ever been in the men's soccer RPI, if I'm not mistaken. Can we now say that this is a legitimate national championship contender? Oh, it's definitely a college cup contender. Uh, and if they can clean up some things defensively, I think they can be. I mean, no question about it, which is uh, it's nice to say. I mean, I, you know, but they have the offense. They're a top 10 offense. They've got a, a, a transcendent player in Cal Jennings who... Uh, is a goal away from being a, two goals away from 40 career goals. And I would argue, Jeff, might be the best UCF soccer player of the last 20 years. I'm not going to comment on players in the 90s and before that. There were some great players I didn't get to see them play and have put up great numbers. But I would argue from about 2000 to the present, I don't think there's been a better UCF soccer player than Cal Jennings. I think he's legit. And we've had some great players have gone on to play in the MLS in recent years. So that tells you a lot. So, yeah, I think they're a contender. Uh, the rankings prove that. They're number three still in the top uh, soccer drawer poll. They yeah, top drawer spots. soccer, right? Yeah, they dropped two spots in the United Soccer Poll because of the overtime game against Tulsa. But uh, they're talented. They're explosive. But they got to play, as Coach Calabri said in that audio, you gotta play, they got to play 90 minutes. You can't coast because teams are going after you now. Uh, and you don't want to have a slip-up or two because that could be the difference in, in dropping some spots. So, yeah, I, I think they have a shot to make a run here, uh, obviously, in the conference tournament. First of all, I think their focus is the regular season title, them and SMU, and then you got the conference tournament, and you hope you get a high enough seed where you don't have to get on a flight 
during the NCAA tournament until hopefully the College Cup, which is like the final four for uh, college soccer. Yeah. By the way, uh, Cal is actually a uh, nominee for the Senior Class Award, uh, which, you, which, by the way, the fans vote on. So if you want to take a look at that, make sure you hop over to UCF underscore M Soccer on Twitter. They actually have that link up there. We retweeted it out on UCF underscore Banneret. So um, you can get the chance to vote on that. It's Murph, really something. Murph, I, I, I'll tell you, Murph, you were a long time ago in a past lifetime. You were a beat writer for UCF men's soccer back in the day. Uh, I don't think you ever would have thought about College Cup ever came up on any of the during that time. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, uh, not, I, want, I don't want to throw any any names under the buzz. But uh, when I was coach, when I was on the beat back in 06, that was not a great time to be around UCF men's soccer. That was a period of. Uh, transition and some turmoil and uh yeah that was not a good time and listen b- back then there were people that didn't want to have the men's soccer program at ucf there were some people jeff and you know this there was whispers some people were like hey why don't we add uh, you know men's track for example so you can slip into yeah. football players and things like that there were a lot of people that wondered if soccer at ucf men's soccer would ever be successful with at being at the shadow of the women's soccer program and, and the success they've had. So this is Scott Calabrese has done a phenomenal job, and I don't know if he gets enough credit for the job he's done. This is only his third season. Um, I don't want to say it too loud because there's an, a job open at Orlando City, uh, MLS franchise. That, oh, boy. The, and if you watch the U.S. men's national team play at Canada on Tuesday, like I did, and losing 2 nothing to Canada for the first time in 34 years, I, who knows, that job could be open too. Um so let's keep it quiet and hope that Calabrese stays here. Yeah, let's keep it quiet on the podcast. Well done, Eric. Although I will say, I will say this. If Team USA decided to hire someone like Scott Calabrese or someone who coaches offense the way Scott Calabrese coaches UCF, a team that never met a shot it didn't like, soccer would be back to being fun again in the United States. I will tell you that because... Again, this is the best soccer team in the state, um, pro or college, if you ask me. And um, they just play an exciting brand of soccer. Oh, it is. It it's amazing. And, and it's it's people- fun to watch. And that game against Tulsa was a good, it was a good example of that. For all the, for the blowing of the 2-0 lead, it was partially because of that's how they play. They play basically run-and-shoot well, soccer. Tulsa has a, right, right. Tulsa has a great player in Partain who scored a couple of goals. He's very good. Uh, and I'm glad to see people covering. The Orlando Sentinel was there. They were covering the match. Uh, and I think they're going to be starting to cover UCF soccer from what I was told on Saturday. So that'll be good. That's good to see uh, that coverage. Does that mean we're going to see more Murph at soccer again? Is he making a return? What? Believe it or not, Murph, <laughs> Murph's not the only one that covers UCF there. Right? Really? <laughs> I need a break. Between, I mean, for, for me, we're getting into the really busy part of my season with football and basketball, you know, coming together. So I don't know if I can take on soccer. I mean, I've done it before. I took on volleyball last year, so I wouldn't rule it out, I guess. Yeah, why not? Why not? Sure. Murph waits till only only shows up for postseason. That's really the what he's saying. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be uh, so we'll be eyeing up men's soccer uh, coming up in the next. Uh, coming up in the next few weeks as they have just five games to go. Here we go. So down the stretch they come, and then it's uh, NCAA uh, or American tournament and then NCAA tournament time. So uh, their counterparts on the women's side uh, had the week off, basically. They last played uh, on Sunday, October 6th, against uh, Houston. That was a 3 nothing win. 
Um, but they play again Thursday uh, at home against Temple. They got the two Northeastern teams in the conference coming in uh, to coming in this weekend, Temple and UConn. Uh, taking a look at the RPI, Temple is 226, UConn is 137. So <laughs> this is not going to help the old RPI out, certainly. Uh, although the Knights uh, right now sitting quite nicely in the uh in the rpi at least as of at least as of right now um, well they kind of dropped a few spots that we would have liked they, well that's they true they did drop down to 75 that's right because they were up in the upper 60s i think i'm sorry um yeah, at, it, at, at eight two and two interestingly enough only one spot ahead of princeton who's four five and two you got a bunch of teams kind of hovering around 500 around where they are they're actually behind DePaul, who's five six and three, they're behind Portland. They're ten spots behind Portland, who's four four and three. Who I mean, I don't know what the hell that is, but um, they're kind of hitting crunch time right now. And that RPI is going to start dipping a little bit as they play some of these weaker teams from the conference, right, Eric? Well, you just got to keep winning. You got to keep winning. I mean, this is a, I've never seen anything like this in any sport. The discrepancy between the RPI. And the coaches poll, UCF moved up to 21 in the coaches poll. Right. That's a huge discrepancy. And I just wonder if UCF were to win out, stay in the top 25, and their RPI, let's say, is in the 50s, 60s, what does the committee do? Do they put (laughs) UCF in there? Or do they actually leave them out and leave a top 25 team out of the NCAA tournament? Think how crazy that sounds. So this is fascinating. I've never seen anything like this. This is kind of why I – Again, I think they just got to keep winning. You mentioned Temple and UConn; they got to win those. You got to have. Then they go to ECU in Cincinnati. You got to win that and set up that showdown on Halloween night against South Florida, which more than likely is significant because the conference tournament is set up to where it's six teams make it. Six teams make it. The top two get a bye. They've actually changed the format this year. It used to be that the regular season champion would host the entire tournament. That is not the case anymore. Uh, the three versus six and the four versus five matchups will now be hosted by the higher seed on campus. So, which means, let's say you're the three seed, if you're UC, which is either going to be UCF or South Florida, more than likely, that means you got to play a home match in your place against the six seed, and then probably get on a plane to go to Memphis because Memphis more than likely is going to win the regular season title. So, that means extra travel if you're the three seed compared to the two seed where you don't have to play a game, you can just show up to Memphis ready to play with fresh legs in the semi. So that is significant that could be looming on Halloween. But to get to that, UCF has to take care of business and on the pitch. You cannot have yeah. any slip-ups for the reasons you brought up in the RPI. Cincinnati right now is actually, believe it or not, tied in the conference standings with UCF and South Florida at 3-1, and one, although they are 5-6-2, and two, by the way, you mentioned that. But um, you mentioned UConn and Temple. They are th- respectively um, fourth and third from last. They're both at two and four in the league and both at 500 overall. Memphis, like you said, Eric, continues to um, lead the league at 5-0-1. That one draw was against ECU, believe it or not. Uh, that was a stunning result. Yeah. yeah. And uh, by the way, Memphis 7-0 and at home this year. Um, 16 points overall in the standings and 13-1-1 overall. Um so I don't know. It's it's not looking likely that they're going to slip up anytime soon, but they could. So you never know. Um, their slate, the rest of the way, I think looks 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 pretty 
made out to be pretty good for them. They only have three games left: Houston, SMU at home, and then at Tulsa. So um, they're heading down the stretch. SMU is probably their toughest match. SMU is pretty good. That's probably their toughest match left there, as far as the possibility of them dropping a match. Yeah, and here's SMU at eight four and one overall, but one and three in the league. I mean, that's it's just a it's a weird year, and yet it's not in women's soccer in the Americans. So. Um, but like you said, you got to take care of UConn and Temple at, at home uh, to begin with. Volleyball, twelve and six right now, five and one in the conference. Um, got a weekend sweep when they needed it in in an odd weekend. So this is the this is their kind of crossover weekend where it's split between home and road. Um, they play South. They played South Florida last Friday. Dropped the first set. Uh, 26-24, and then steamrolled on the rest of the way to get a 3-1 win at the Corral. Then came home to face Memphis and got the sweep there. So I say sweep of the weekend because they won both the matches, not because they swept uh, every match, obviously. But um, but that's bigger that they needed. They've won three in a row now after the after the after getting swept at Cincinnati. And uh, like I said, five and one in the league right now, twelve and six overall, and now they have the. Toughest road trip of the of, of the year in terms of distance coming up this weekend. They they play Friday at eight at Wichita State. Wichita is not what they used to be. Remember remember Wichita went undefeated that first year um, in the American Eric, and I was like, oh my gosh, what are we doing with this team? Right, there were that was the, that was a big talk, right? Like yeah. other than bat, men's basketball, that volleyball that was going to be a big boost for the league with Wichita State. Well, not so much this year. They're four and fourteen overall, one wow. and five in the league. Um, the toughest test that UCF is probably going now. Still, that's a very it's a it's a loud gym that they play in, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough match anyway um, because their fans are insane. But um, the in terms of the quality of play, the toughest game that match they're gonna have coming up is at Tulsa on Sunday at two. Uh, by the way, you can watch that through Tulsa's website. There's a live link on UCFnights.com that you can watch it at the Reynolds Center. Tulsa right now is now. Remember, they split the league up into divisions for volleyball this year. Tulsa is third, or excuse me, tied for second in the uh, in the West with SMU and Tulane at four and two. Tulsa's eleven and eight overall. Houston leads the division. By two games, they're six and 12 and nine overall. Uh, also in the East on the UCF side, Cincinnati is six and zero. UCF is five and one. Everyone else is under five hundred. But um, Tulsa is probably going to be the toughest match in a, in a in a jammed up West right now. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean that's it, it, either way though. As we look at the RPI, Eric, UCF right now is sitting kind of pretty right now. They're at twenty nine in the RPI. Um, one spot behind Cincinnati, um, not too bad considering you got swept by Cincinnati. But you know, at twenty nine, you're in a pretty good spot for for uh, for at large consideration if you don't win the tournament. Which, by the way, UCF is hosting the first ever American Athletic Conference volleyball tournament. Um, Tulsa's RPI right now is fifty eight, and that's going to be a key match, Tulsa. right? It's yeah, a big match. I mean, Tulsa's a bubble team, so. I mean, I think Cincinnati and UCF are in good shape to make the tournament. The question is, and this is where, you know, we're, and we're going to get into this more as we get closer to that conference tournament, is will this tournament help or hurt the league as far as getting more teams into the field of 64? I think in Tulsa, this is a big match for them. They're on the bubble. Well, this is where I think what Todd Dagenet said at the start of the season when he talked about the tournament was um, 
was pretty interesting because uh, the reason why they formatted the tournament where it was six teams in the top two and then the, the, the division winners get the buys is because they were concerned about um, dilute if you dilute the tournament field it really hurts the teams that are in the that are in the top 50 top 100 in the RPI um, in volleyball and the RPI is everything in uh, in terms of tournament at large selection right now so um, you know if you're UCF even if you lose to Cincinnati in the tournament you know you're probably gonna you're gonna get another good RPI game on your schedule there um, and and likely at least two against top fifty opponents, um, or at least top seventy five, assuming that you know if that happens, you know Tulsa right now is at fifty eight. Um, as you go through the America, I know Wichita is at one thirty eight, but um, you know rolling through the top parts of the uh, of the RPI, Cincinnati twenty eight, UCF twenty nine, Tulsa fifty eight. That's the third highest RPI. You got SMU at seventy, Tulane at seventy three. And then Temple knocking on the on the door of the top seventy uh, of the top seventy five um, at uh, at seventy eight. So that could, if, depending on how they finish out, that could be good for um, UCF. Um, it's I don't know. We're going to really see how that plays out in the tournament. It's it's not the best year for the American in terms of the RPI standings right now, but they do have two teams in the top thirty. So. Um, that's going to be tough the to watch. one thing that seems to be the case, uh, Murph, I don't think you're going to get a chance to ho- uh, to cover a uh, regional in volleyball this year like last year when UCF got to host. I think uh, unless they were to win out, and you know, I, I think it's going to be tough to get a top 16 mm. seed this well, year. Well, if, if they good. win, at, if they win out, though, I mean that would include at least one win against Cincinnati and probably two Not if it. they play him in the tournament, which would be a big win, big boost for UCF. Would no? be. Will, will that be enough? Who knows? Uh, otherwise, I think they would be traveling probably Florida if they win the SEC with Mary Wise and company or maybe somebody like Louisville. So, Murph, uh, if you want to see cover another volleyball region, you might have to travel. That's my point. I might, I might just be willing to do that. You never know. They could ship them out to, <laughs> they could ship them out to Hawaii. Hawaii is ninth in the RPI. <laughs> That'd be a nice road well, trip, wouldn't it? Is that now? I I might do that, but only if uh, UCF football isn't also shipped out to to Hawaii around the same time for the <laughs> for the for for the Aloha Bowl. Oh man, look for at Aloha Bowl. Oh boy, um, that's true. I guess you're right because Hawaii's a nine RPI, so they will host. They could host in theory. Wow. Yeah. Well, Hawaii Hawaii has hosted before. They've done. It, I mean, they're they're a power in. Um, in volleyball, every every year in and year out, Dave Shoji, longtime coach at Hawaii, I mean, built a machine out there uh, for the for the Wahine. So, um, so yeah, so that obviously UCF volleyball has to take care of business at Wichita and Tulsa. That the Tulsa win should be at, at or the Tulsa if UCF wins against Tulsa, um, that will be a big. Big, or not a big boost to their RPI, but but quite quite a bit of a boost. It should be at least in terms of their resume. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about here in this segment: um, we had Media Day, Basketball Conference Media Day, um, and we had the uh, both the men's and women's sides um, you know, with the preseason polls and um, and the preseason awards as well. And uh, we'll start with the men's side, just real quick, Murph. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, UCF not picked to be very good in the American this year. Uh, the coaches, come 
on, Merv. How can you not vote for us better? Merv, you're, come on, you're an influential guy. I did not, did not, as much flack as Eric gave me for touting that I did get a vote in the football preseason poll, I shall say that I did not get a vote for this one. Well, the men's basketball, uh, the, the, the men's basketball preseason polls voted on by the coaches. There's, so, media, there's, a, media, there's a media poll. Oh, there's there is a media poll? It says, well, well, here's here's the release from the American. Houston and Memphis have been selected as the preseason favorites to win the 2019-2020 American Athletic Conference men's basketball title in voting by the league's head coaches, the conference oh. announced on Tuesday. Wow. Uh, Wonder, Murph, you didn't get a ballot, Murph. No, that explains it. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Houston and Memphis were tied at the top. Uh, Houston had more first-place votes than Memphis. I find that really surprising. Uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati third. Wichita fourth, USF fifth, UConn sixth, all the way down at ninth is UCF, ahead of Tulsa, ECU, and Tulane. Uh, Jaron Cumberland is the preseason player of the year. No UCF players made the made the all preseason teams, um, and pretty much most of the players coming in for UCF, with a few with a few notable exceptions, uh, will probably have a uniform patch on their on their on their on their jersey saying "Hello, my name is." Mm-hmm. So. Any surprises about that? Do we are we doing it gets low, high, probably right where it should be? What do you think? No, it's fine. I expect them to be. I, I would have them a little higher, but like no higher than like seventh at, at best. Um, By the way, I, eighth SMU, seventh Temple, just for reference. I, and I could see UCF being ahead of both those teams. And I, I will say this again: I know Eric disagrees, so maybe he can go into why he disagrees. But I am pretty surprised that Houston, considering the offensive talent they lost that Houston got most uh, first-place votes. And secondly, I think people are still sleeping on USF, who I contend still uh, is my bold prediction to be second in this conference behind Memphis. That is a hot take. That is a hot take. Yeah, you take your take to the Daily Stampede, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I I agree. Actually, I agree with Murph. I don't know about second, but I do think South Florida is really good. I mean, they're kind of – Kind of in a similar boat where UCF was last year, maybe not to the degree, but close enough where the high expectations there for the first in a long time to make the tournament over there um, with the job that Gregory's done there, right? Murph, is that kind of – and they got a lot of guys back. Oh, they got they got everybody coming back, and they're just – they were a young team last year, and everybody's back. Um, I think that team and, – and that team is athletic up front with Yetna. Their point guards are another year experienced, and um, I, I really like that team. My thing is that team didn't lose anybody significantly, and yet we've got Houston losing both Corey Davis and Armani Brooks, and Cincinnati working in a new head coach. Now I don't mind the new head coach. I think he will, you know, basically bring the same sort of gritty mindset that that uh, Mick Cronin brought to Cincinnati. But I I am Eric a little worried about that Houston team. I certainly don't think they are the they are going to win this conference. Well, I agree with you, but I'm not surprised that the coaches voted for Sampson over Penny Hardaway because I, I could tell I, I'm pretty sure that if you pull the coaches off record, they're probably not the biggest of Penny Hardaway. Ah, a little politicking there, huh? Yeah, yeah, I guarantee you that's what this is about. Okay, for a variety of reasons, right? Just the way he talks smack. Some people maybe have a problem in how he recruits. <clears throat> um, whereas, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's not a loaded. Yeah. That's not loaded, is it? Let me clear my throat. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Yeah. So I think it's not an accident that they're going 
And I think, look, they're going to go with the brand, right? We talk about football and the brands and, you know, people voting for the brand. I think the reason why South Florida is behind Cincinnati and Houston is because Houston and Cincinnati kind of get the benefit of the doubt, fairly or not. Yeah. I I think that's part of it, too, where South Florida really hasn't, you know, in in the coaches' mind. They haven't haven't proven it, and they they didn't prove anything in, you know, last year uh, that would lead you to believe that they would be a conference a, a legit conference contender at least as of just yet but they could prove us all wrong after all it is a preseason poll um the women's side was also uh represented uh at conference media day um okay you guys are gonna have to clarify this for me because it says that uh, for the seventh straight season uconn was picked as the american athletic conference's women's basketball preseason favorite as voted on by the league's 12 head coaches right okay Bear, I know what you're going to ask. Bear, bear that. You even it. Okay, bear that number in mind, ladies and gentlemen. 12 head coaches in the American. Well, Very next paragraph. The Huskies received all 11 possible first place votes. Oh, yeah. right. uh, with USF earning second in the poll with 107. The Knights, UCF, Ert was were picked third in the conference and received the lone non Yukon first place vote. Now, yeah. vote for Gino. Now, All right. Uh, Thanks, okay, Gino. so so you Gino. so apparently you can't vote for yourself, is that right? Correct. Correct. So Gino picked UCF, gave his vote to UC. Obviously, I think if Gino could, he would vote for Yukon. He would be stupid not to, but um sure. but uh I'm I'm a little surprised he uh he he dropped his uh, he dropped UCF in there as his number one pick and not South Florida. Uh, what do we what do we read into that? Hey, maybe he's trying to make nice with Coach Abe. You know things kind of things kind of. I'm I'm, I'm, sus- I'm suspicious. I'm. What do you mean? Why, why are you suspicious of what? Like what do you? I'm you suspicious mean? of Gino Oriema. How, oh, how, how about the fact that? G- Gino just thinks that UCF is the second best team in this conference. That's not big of a leap. Which, by the way, I agree with him. I, I actually think he's got it right, and the rest of the coaches got it wrong. I think there's still questions about South Florida. Now, obviously, Jose Fernandez is a brilliant coach, but they lost a lot of injuries last year. Some players have departed with graduation, and, and you know, so I think there are questions about South Florida, how good they're going to be. And I know UCF lost some players. But they do have arguably the best player in the conference that doesn't play at UConn in KK Wright. So yeah. I actually kind of agree with Gino. I don't think I think Gino's like, yeah, UCF. We played them in the championship game, and quite honestly, they give us bigger, tougher battles than anybody else in the league does. So yeah, you're going to get the second my vote. Well, we've got uh, both UCF and South Florida are dealing with a number of departures. Interestingly, UCF is only returning five players. They're returning a total of five players. Um, but one of them, like you mentioned, Eric Lopez, is K.K. Wright, uh, who was voted co-preseason player of the year along with Crystal Dangerfield of UConn. By the way, does this not set up one hell of a matchup between those two at some point, a little bit later on this year, um, with UCF and UConn? At the, two point, the two best point guards in the league at least in terms of what we think in the preseason, getting ready uh, or going at it at some point. Um, I'm checking the schedule right now, but uh, well yeah, deserved, well deserved to, KK, I, right? Right. I wouldn't push that narrative too hot, too loudly on the week of the game. All right, we 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 want to 
play not you know shh, just kind of go in quietly you know play a nice game by the way they play you know, january 16th at at uh in, in orlando and then february 22nd at yukon by the way anyway go ahead yeah let's just let's be nice last year <laughs> yukon here thankfully play nice and uh you know let's get second place they uh they, they both made part. yeah they don't don't poke the bear um, no. They both played. Uh, they both were named a preseason All-Conference first team. Dangerfield was unanimous, by the way, as was Mia Davis of Temple. Um, but um, yeah, I, I I'll be honest with you. And since, by the way, UCF was tied for third in the preseason vote with Cincinnati. Who, um, by the way, they've done a fantastic job the last couple of years. I hired a new coach last year, and uh, and things seem to be turning around for the Bearcats. But, uh, yeah, I'm still a little surprised that UCF – I mean, nothing against UCF at all. You know, I thought that the departures would have uh, pushed UCF down a few notches, probably in that 5-6 range, even oh, with KK. Because uh, no, UCF lost a lot of production last year, especially on the defensive end. That's the, that's the reason why. But I'm not saying I'm unhappy to see UCF pick, you know, get uh, that level of respect. Good. I'm just saying that's – you know that's they. I think that the Knights still have a lot of things to figure out here, don't they? Yeah, but we say that every year, and she, and Coach Ape figures it out. I mean, every year she's been there, they've been finished. I believe top four in the league at worst. I don't have it in front of me, but she's been at the top, so I think it tells you that hey, she'll figure it out. And again, as I said, she's got the best player in the league that doesn't play UConn in her roster, and that's the most important thing. And you know, I think they like some of the young players that are coming back. We'll learn more about it at media day next week so we'll see my concern about them is if you look at the schedule and the conference schedule you mentioned cincinnati and yukon uh you know alongside usf i think everybody feels those are the top four teams in the league Mm -hmm. ucf is the only one that has to play yukon cincinnati and south florida back to back to back twice in the schedule yukon doesn't have to do that even once Cincinnati or South Florida don't have to do that. UCF's got a rough trip twice. Not only back-to-back-to-back. To back to back, that's the thing that concerns me, the way the schedule in the conference played out. Yeah, that's – ouch. <laughs> that's going to be a rough stretch. Yeah. Um, like, and, to, like, can somebody let the league know that we're not leaving? It's UConn. <laughs> why did – just saying. Just saying. Oh, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna try and squeeze all the blood that they can out of that rock in this last uh, year for UConn and the American, but – have you covered a UConn women's hoops game uh, during this time frame here? Yeah, no, me and you both were at the game oh, in which UCF held them to their lowest point total of the season. yes. Two years ago. Yes. Right. Yes. So. I mean, this is it. This is it, Murph. Last time we see Gino at the uh, at the arena here this year, I mean. I'm any gonna, last, you know? I'm going to miss that. Gino's fun. Gino's fun impressive. Gino, uh, Gino's. Oh, uh, Yates fan? Yeah. Yes. Gino's, uh, what do you call it? His his denim denim Nikes with the largest swoosh I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's unbelievable. All right. Well, um, UCF men's or excuse me, UCF women's basketball gets underway Wednesday, November the sixth. They play the Pittsburgh Panthers. Uh, and again, it starts at eleven a.m. Interestingly enough, um, for that game. So, uh, and that's our first chance to see KK Wright in. Uh, the preseason conference player of the year. All right, uh, stick around. When we get back, we'll talk a little bit more shop around here. Uh, we'll talk about the baseball 
uh, legislation that's coming around. Uh, turns out we might get that extra assistant anyway, and that's how that's good news for UCF softball and base and baseball coming up. And uh, and we also got a couple other things that we'll be talking about uh, as well that you want to stick around for, particularly in terms of uh, some N- some UCF NBA news uh, that we'll be able to talk to uh, talk talk to you about. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy joining us once again here. Now I wanted to. Uh, we got some like. It's a good week for like news and notes stuff, right? So, first thing we wanted to talk about. Um, so, Eric and Brian, the third baseball paid baseball and softball assistant, which we all knew, which we were all flummoxed by the NCAA voting it down um, a few months ago, apparently uh, is back on the table. It's funny how like you know when there's you know, why can't they just vote it, vote it over the top the first time instead of having to see what the backlash is and then be like, oh, we made a mistake. You know, maybe we should actually have it again. So, Eric, you, um, you've been following this very closely. And, Brian, I know you have been. Uh, you have been. So, Eric, I'll start with you. Like, what is, what is the deal? What is going on with this? So, this Friday, they're going to do a re-vote, potentially, to try to put the legislation back on the table to vote on it. This is... So yes, you have so they're to- voting again to have the vote again. Yes, basically, okay. this is the and the reason why. And I had a full in-depth interview with Kendall Rogers of D1Baseball.com on the podcast I host in the Circle on Fast Pitch News. It's in the Circle SB on Twitter. You can follow that whole episode. It's out. It came out Monday, and and the reason was because there was some there's some some canary going on with the last vote where some people voted no, even though they were supposed to vote yes, including the American Conference where. The representative kind of went rogue, even though the coaching staff wanted to vote yes. So there, there was stuff like that that was going on, which Kendall explains in the interview why all of a sudden this has life in it. And we hope, anyway, that has life. We'll know Friday if they will revote. They got to revote to see if it's up for legislation. And if it is, then they might vote on it again uh, on the deal. But, you know, this is about a third position full time assistant coach. That's for baseball and softball. That's. That's the big logist of this, and this has been a hot topic in the sport of baseball. As you'll hear here, my inter- a snippet from my interview here with Kendall Rogers, and mention Greg Lovelady, which Murph will comment here after the audio, talking about the the discretion, the importance of having the third assistant, and perhaps administrators not caring about enough about baseball and the student athletes in baseball. Here's Kendall Rogers. Well, and, and, and it's even worse when you think about it in financial terms. You know, you look at college baseball. Most places, it's the it's number three sport uh, behind men's uh, football and men's uh, basketball. But And then you look at the NCAA level, and you're talking about college baseball being the number two uh, you know, gross revenue sport in the championship level. So what I mean by that is obviously NCAA does not run college football in the Division I level, so that's separate. But they do run the division, uh, excuse me, the FCS, um, you know, tournament. They run the men's basketball tournament, women's basketball tournament. And baseball actually sits right behind the men's basketball tournament ahead of FCS football uh, in terms of money-making for the NCAA. So uh, there's a school last year that, you know, cut a check to the NCAA for over a million dollars for the regional. So we know the NCAA is making a lot of money. And, again, this is not, a, this is not the NCAA doing this, but my point is, is when it's making millions of dollars in NCA and it's making 
uh, money for some schools. It's it's giving a lot of schools notoriety in a major sport. It just blows my mind that this is so hard to pass. And it blows my mind, honestly, that college baseball doesn't get more love from administrative level. Uh, it's just it's it, you know it's like having uh, you know it's like having a business and that, and having a product that's a hot selling product, but not applying any kind of marketing budget towards it. It makes no sense. Uh, and this is uh, you know this is the same way. I feel like. All right, so that there is Kendall Rogers explaining the revote and then the assistant coach ratio as far as baseball is concerned, which is one of the worst. And Murph, you were there when Greg Lovelady spoke out about it back after the vote first uh, was denied back in the spring. I think it was April. Uh, yeah. You're, you know, so obviously it's a big moment. Greg Lovelady's been very outspoken among other coaches about this particular topic. Yeah, and he's got a good point, as do many other coaches have a good point. I mean. You know, college baseball has really grown over the, the past, you know, decade or so, or two decades. And so what they need to do, or what they need to do to have the sport continue to grow, is to make sure that they have more coaches around these players. Because right now, Eric, you know, they have, again, the worst coach-to-student ratio of any sport in college athletics. Um, and even after this... I believe it still might be the worst. It'd be like even if they get the third paid assistant, it still might yep. be the worst coach to coach to student student athlete ratio. But to help these kids and to convince more kids to maybe you know not go from high school to the pros, but go from high school to college, get that extra coach in there who is being paid full time for the work that he's doing to mentor these kids. And uh, um, I think that's the best way for baseball to go about it. Everybody knows this. And the, the fact that it got voted down the last time was just so uh, – it, it was very – it was just – It, it, it was seemed, stupid. Uh, it was completely it was stupid. Yeah, it, it's it – was, It was apathetic. It was it was malicious. I, I just think people did not – really just don't care what happened. So hopefully that's changed. Again, I don't know of a huge portion of people other than maybe some private uh, ADs who don't want to pay the extra money – or, or, or university presidents who don't want to pay the extra money. But outspoken-wise, no one is saying that this is a bad idea because it's not. It's necessary. We need more coaches for our student-athletes. And to have a coach um, like Ted Tom was last year for UCF, although now he's, a, now he's paid, uh, to have a coach like him basically be a full-time coach but have to make ends meet otherwise because he's only a volunteer – that makes no sense. Um, and, and but hopefully, hopefully that is seen out to be true by the administrators and conference representatives uh, this month. Because I don't know, we all thought it was going to pass last time, and it didn't. Right. I mean, we're, we thought in the AAC, yep. the, the the take in the AAC was yeah, all of the represent, all, you know, all of the schools voted for yes, we were going to pay the third assistant. And then when it came down to vote, the conference rep voted no so actually the AAC came down as a no vote um yeah in fact, in fact in fact Murph here's Kendall Rogers let me let's play the clip Kendall Rogers explains exactly that situation you just described the American coaches thought it was going to get voted but the representative who was from Cincinnati had other ideas here's Kendall Rogers well the American and the ACC are about to drive me crazy because the American voted in favor of it with the coaches and with the athletic directors Yet, uh, when it came time to vote, Maggie McKinley from uh, Cincinnati, uh, on behalf of the American Conference, 
uh, voted against the legislation against her own conference, citing this whole, uh, well, I didn't know softball was included. Well, th- that's been included the whole time. So, like, either – a, you're just lying, or B, you're just not very competent on this issue. So uh, that that's been frustrating. The, the more frustrating thing to me, though, uh, has been the ACC as of late. My understanding is the ACC. So the ACC is going to be a no vote. I found out they're going to be a no vote. I started to reach out to ADs. Some of these ADs that were going to vote no realized, like, oh man, everybody's going to find out the way we voted. They flipped their vote. They voted yes inside the conference. Yet when they got to the NCAA Division One council meetings. Uh, Blake James from Miami essentially went, went along with all these all these conferences that were voting no. Once he realized he had the votes, a no vote, he went ahead and voted yes uh, or voted no, but then on the backside voted yes to basically save face because the vote was going to fail no matter what. Because what happens here, people, these smaller conferences, they just kind of go the way of the wind. And so if the legislation looks like it's going to fail or it looks like it's going to pass, they're going to go one of those two directions. And so what happened here is the ACC essentially went out and, and made sure they had no votes. And then after the fact, after they voted no on it, they went and voted yes. And so that that is why you're seeing this issue brought up again. That is why you're seeing the NCAA even allowing uh, a, a vote to re-vote to actually occur uh, because of these shenanigans. And so ironically enough, uh, Eric, uh, Blake James, the Division One Council uh, Chairman for the AD in Miami. Ironically enough, it's amazing how this happened. Uh, is is this guy is no longer on the D One Council? So it's funny that this happens, and yet this guy doesn't have to answer for anything because guess what? He's no longer on the council. All right, there, there it is. That was the explanation there from Kendall Rogers in the podcast. So Murph, Jeez, there is man. to your point. The Cincinnati rep went rogue on that. Like it, it just. Did. Got- unbelievable I, i've never heard of anything like that no it, no i don't think anybody had and um again I, I, you know i i it it just the takeaway for love lady that day was sad he was just he was just disheartened by how things had turned out because it looked so positive for the conference going in and i i you know certainly hope things change now um because it needs to it absolutely needs to for this sport and for baseball and softball to grow and to be better and and to to continue to, you know to continue continue to grow as sports. So we think it's do we think it's going to pass? This is the last question on it. Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I you know I, I keep following Kendall. Kendall's got a lot of connections. I mean, it depends on who you talk to. You know, the problem is there's some people here that don't want to do it because softball's involved. Uh, yeah. There's some people that, quite frankly, don't that don't want involved. Like, and, and, and he mentioned this to me in the, in the podcast. The Big Ten, for example, is very anti-baseball, so they don't want this. They have over a million sports they care about more, like wrestling and things like that. So it, it's very complicated in that regard. And the the unfortunate thing about it, let's clear this up. It's not mandatory. Like they're just giving you the opportunity to bring in the third full-time assistant. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. Uh, but right. it's just unfortunate because this creates a lot more jobs for coaches. And like you mentioned this, Murph, and you've tra- you know you've covered big college baseball. I've covered you all three of us. Mm-hmm. The volunteer coach, and I speak for the same in softball. They're basically a full time coach, but not mm-hmm. getting paid. And I and that's the, the travesty about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're gonna have to follow this. And by the way, huge thanks to Kendall for um, for the insight on this. And I know that. Um, a little cross promotional here. Make sure if you're into college softball, you need to subscribe to Eric's podcast. 
in the circle as well. What are the uh, uh, what are the uh, how can you follow that podcast again, Eric? In the circle SB on Twitter, of course, your favorite podcast uh, places like you're listening to this podcast. You can listen to the In the Circle on Fast Pitch News podcast. You can go to fastpitchnews.com for all the details on that full in-depth interview with Kendall Rogers as they're getting ready with fall ball here because UCF had their first practice in the fall on Wednesday. And uh, we've been told that Aaron Fitt will be coming down here in the near future to cut a see what UCF's got, which Murph is going to be interesting here. First practice, a lot of new faces that I know you're going to be seeing or uh, getting, trying to get to know here in the next few weeks. Oh my God. I mean, you, you know, the 2020 baseball roster is up right now for UCF on their athletics website. Is anyone on it? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> you can tell how many kids are new just because they don't have a headshot yet. Right. You know, the kids who are back are the ones who have a picture next to their name. And then you have about half the roster that's just a name with no picture. That there's just this put is up a, a bunch of Twitter eggs. Roster. Remember the Twitter egg? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, I want to talk about basketball real quick. We had some news come down. Obviously, Taco Fall has been the um, the darling of the NBA summer league. He's been the darling of the NBA preseason, and uh, and the Celtics apparently uh, liked what they saw, so they signed him to a, a two way contract, um, which. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with how that works, basically he, it's it's kind of like signing two contracts in one. You get paid your G League salary, but then you can get called up at any time by the big club, and then you get paid, you know, an NBA game check. Um, and uh, so Taco will play for in the G League. He will be with the main Red Claws, which, uh, if you know us and are familiar with us. Um, and familiar with UCF basketball players recently, um, Jermaine Taylor played for the Maine Red Claws for a number of years. Um, in the, it's it's the Celtics affiliate, and uh, and so we're happy to see Taco get on there. I, I have a feeling that we will see plenty of Taco in Maine, but I would be shocked if we did not see the Celtics call him up at some point too. Right, Murph? Uh, I think so. Maybe late in the year because. He's. I think he's going to sell some tickets, mm-hmm. but also you want to treat him like a basketball player. And as a basketball player, you want him to get minutes and to to hone his game. And to do that, he needs to be in the G League. So yeah, I do think there's 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 a good chance that we'll see him a little bit in the NBA. He can spend he can spend up to 45 days on an NBA roster on the on the deal he's on. Um, but it'll be much less than that. But I think we will see him. Now, uh, late breaking news today. We're recording this on. Wednesday evening, uh, one more NBA uh, NBA prospect coming off of UCF's roster from last year. Um, the uh, uh, or uh, BJ Taylor he signed uh, today an Exhibit Ten contract with the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, and uh, will likely send him to their G League affiliate, which is called. This is a great team name. You thought the XFL was great. The Agua Caliente Clippers, um, who nice. play who play in Rancho oh, hot water, by the way, that's yes. hot water, hot water, who play in <laughs> yeah, water. great, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> they who play for the gear on that. I mean, we gotta get some gear on that. <laughs> uh, they, they play for the uh, they play in Rancho Cucamonga, and uh, and BJ's gonna get a shot. Now, I, I was. Um, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm a little surprised that we saw BJ get his shot before we saw 
uh, before we heard anything on uh, on Aubrey Dawkins, but apparently uh, Doc Rivers, who's still at the head of the Clippers, and by the way, makes his offseason home here in Orlando. I actually saw him in a restaurant this summer in Orlando, by the way. Um, likes what he saw from B.J. Taylor and uh, and is going to bring him into the fold. So um, what do we think about that, Brian? I think it's a good story for a kid who uh, has worked really hard to get to this point. I mean, I think B.J. is a is a nice player. I think the, the biggest thing about B.J. is he's a he's just tough, man. He's a tough point guard. Um, I don't know if, you know, again, we don't, I don't want to break down the basketball minutia of where he fits, but for UCF, it's a good story. Is uh, you think he's pretty much going to be going to be a G League guy, or do you think that the Clips might take a shot on him at some point? I, if I had to bet, I'd say he's strictly a G League guy. Okay. Now, um, keep in mind, though, injury injuries could impact so some of those things, like call ups sure. and things like that. Because, for example, the Clippers are going to be without Paul George for the first month with uh, shoulder surgeries. So who knows? Depending on how things play out. You know, and then if you have other injuries, Kawhi Leonard sometimes takes games off. So you, they could maneuver the rosters, and I would say the same with Taco and the Celtics, where injuries could impact those decisions. Hey, we need to bring them up here for a game or two because we're a little banged up. So I think those are the things to look for. By the way, BJ has tweeted out Wednesday night, uh, beyond excited to announce I've signed with the LA Clippers for the upcoming season. Extremely blessed and grateful for this opportunity. Dreams do come true. Still hungry, though. This is just the beginning. Uh, so BJ obviously very excited and uh, not a bad run. I mean, the Clippers are going to be a title contender. So I mean, that's not a bad team to uh, hang around. I mean, a very talented basketball team with some great guards there. Aubrey, if, I so, if I might say so myself, Southern California is a nice place to live and and do, do your work. The uh, it, it, by the way, Aubrey Dawkins, I did mention him, uh, was originally an Exhibit 10 prospect in the Summer League with the New Orleans Pelicans, but did they decide to pick him up or no? Is he a free agent right now? I I haven't seen him on their roster, but I haven't really heard anything official. I'm guessing, though, that they have not. Yeah, because I didn't see him him uh, on the G League's list of players, at least as of right. But uh, we still have plenty of time because we're right now in that as we approach the beginning of the NBA season, we're kind of in that mesh point where guys are starting to get assigned and signed and then reassigned. And um, hopefully Aubrey gets a shot somewhere. So hopefully we'll hear about him in the next couple days. You know, if there's there's Orlando fans and Magic fans who are disappointed that Taco Fall uh, may not be in the NBA, he's still going to come down in the Central Florida area, sort of, uh, in Lakeland. That's right. Uh, I think March... March 24th and 25th, the main ready clause faced the Lakeland Magic. So if he's still in the G League at that point, just go a little bit down the I-4 and you can see Taco play this spring. And by the way, watching him in preseason, I watched the pregame warm-ups with him. He's been working, and he talked about this after the game with us, Jay Larinaga. Jay Larinaga is an assistant on the Celtics staff. Is the son of Miami Hurricane head coach Jim Larinaga. They've been is working it Jim Larinaga or Jim Larinaga? Sorry, I had to. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> that, that's all that needs to be said. Um, they've been working with his shot, and I told Murph this, and he literally almost fell off his chair. Uh, <laughs> but I told him that Taco made three threes in a row in warm-ups, and he's got a nice shot now all of a sudden. Like, he was taking perimeter shots that they've been working on with him. 
Um, so he's looked very good on that. He played the last few minutes of the Celtic game. The best part about it was that the fans were really ready to, like, I don't know, hijack Brad Stevens if he didn't put him in because they were like, we want Taco Chance throughout. He didn't and score, then, though. That was a bummer. No, no. It doesn't matter. Uh, he was there. That's all that mattered. Yeah. And apparently, Merv, he did, he did we get conclusion here? Did did, did uh, he wreck or not wreck Mo Bamba's car? What, what do we learn on that? You Wait, talk what? what? Mo Bamba said that Taco Fall wrecked his car, wrecked his Tesla. Taco says, nuh-uh, I didn't crash his car. I, I Someone backed into me while he was trying to park. Wait, So it's not his fault. Wait, what, first of all, this. wait a minute. What, what is what is Mo Bamba and Taco Fall doing together at the same time, considering that they're both, you know, not on the same team? <laughs> like, what is, no, but they're friends. Okay. They're friends. So you're just chilling. Well, they weren't together at the same time. Taco, I don't know if they were driving. I don't know if he, I don't know if Mo Bamba was in the car. Taco was driving. He might have just been borrowing the car and whatever. He got in a little fender bender while parking. But uh, but no, they're 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 friends. I mean, this isn't like the 1970s baseball where no one talked to each other. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Okay, I got you. <laughs> very great line of 70s. Right. 1970s baseball. We have audio if it for clarification. If we, we, can we do. We have this. Yes, we. Okay, let's go ahead. Post-game scrum afterwards here with uh, myself and Mr. Murphy, among others, uh, here with Taco Fall following the Celtics Magic preseason game. You've been working on your uh, jump shot there in the pregame. How's that been going there with Coach Monega? It's been going pretty good. We have a coach in the staff, Jay, who's been really helping me with it, and uh, I've been seeing a lot of improvement. Taco, how would you describe just your life over the last five months with draft and now getting into camp and now playing in games? How would you describe your life over the last five months? It's been crazy. It's been a little overwhelming, but it's, it's, like I said, I'm really thankful for what has happened. It's been a great journey, and I'm really looking forward to the future. I think UCF fans fell in love with your story with your mother and your brother late last season. Has your mom been able to come back since uh, since March? She has not, but they just gave her a 10-year visa, so she can just come back and forth whenever she wants. Do you have any plans for to get her back out here next time? No, she will. Oh, she will. Yeah. How, how do you feel like, we talk about your movement a lot, but other than that, where have you feel like you have uh, improved the most Just since you got with the Celtics? My feel for the game. Um, I feel like I'm a lot more patient out there, and uh, I can just see that uh, I see the game a lot better. And um, there's still room, a lot of room for for improvements, but I'm learning every day. So. Mo Bamba said before the game, I talked to him, and he said he, he crashed his car. Did you crash Mo Bamba's car? I didn't crash his car. Somebody hit me. It's a difference. <laughs> I was driving it, and then somebody was pulling out of the parking, and he hit me from the back. So it wasn't really my fault. When his car was fixed afterwards. What kind of car was it, though? Tesla. Final question for Taco. You guys have been so close to your goal for so long. To be out there, to be out there on the court here professionally together, what did that mean to you? Uh, it means a word to me. It's always good to know to play against friends now. Especially people you have got to, you know, become really close to. And, um, you know, there will be many more, so I'm really looking forward to that. All right. All right, that was good to hear. That was good. That was good to hear, Ty. It was good to see Taco and a lot of friends there, so we hope for the best for him. And uh, it's just exciting. Yeah. And uh, I, I, It's pretty amazing, the popularity for Taco, and he's very appreciative of it. So we hope for the best. And as Murph said, uh, I think it's good for him in the long run, and uh, I don't think it'll be the last deal. We'll see him on an NBA court at some point for whatever role it is. It, to be determined. I hope so. It just I'm just bummed that now I have to root for the Celtics. Ugh, 
Anyway. Um, that technically, for what's the nickname again? The you main red claws. I don't yeah. know. I might. I might word. I might word for the uh, agua caliente. I might be more of a fan of the. Agua. I love that. <laughs> main red claws. Oh, yeah. By the way, go ahead. Means <laughs> hot water. Well, it, it, well, lobster claws do turn red when they are dipped into hot water. So, I mean, oh. stop pushing the joke too far. <laughs> stop, go. Just I'm like, I'm off. like killing the dad jokes today in this podcast, man. It's bad. It's really bad. I'm so sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, the main red claws, by the way. Um, I don't know if we have any NBA fans or, or any uh, UCF fans up in up in Maine, but. If you're interested in watching Taco, they play in Portland, Maine. So mm-hmm. at the Portland Exposition Building. So um, so yeah, should be fun to watch. All right, um, all right. Let's wrap this puppy up. Uh, start with you, Bri. What do you have coming up this week other than uh, other than the uh, other than coverage of football and everything else that's going on? What do you have? On, what do you have on tap? That's it. Thanks, Jeff. Oh, cool. Oh, good. All right, excellent. We're on the money. How about you, Lopez? Wow. Um... Well, let's see. So, let's see. So, third, uh, we first of all, on the BlackEagleBanneray.com, we have our three stars, which might be up by the time you're listening to this episode. Uh, me and Jeff work on that. That's yep. already ready to roll. Uh, so, that's on there. I will be Thursday. I will be back on the pitch, calling action for the other ranked team, the number 21 ranked night women's soccer team. I'll be there again. Temple on Thursday night. Maybe joined by Bridget Callahan to help me out, which is good. I almost lost my voice the last time I called <laughs> soccer, so that'll be nice. I'll be there Thursday night. Then Friday, Murph's going to be jealous because I get to do catch a little fall ball, softball, Murph, little fall ball action in person first time. So I'm going to be at softball on Friday. Then Saturday, we're at football. I will be working stats for the CBS Sports uh, Network's uh, crew, part of that crew. So if you see those cool graphic stats, basically that's the stats I'm providing them with the help of the official stats crew. At UCF, really, they take they do all the work. I just pass along the information, and uh, so that'll be fun Saturday night. And then Sunday, I'll be there for the alumni uh, UCF UConn women's soccer game. Uh, so a lot of soccer ahead, as well as softball, fall ball. I'm excited. Softball season as well, just around the corner, Murph. And uh, then before we know, we got the NBA season going next week, and basketball media days just a, a week away, Murph. Yeah, well, next Thursday afternoon, we get the basketball media for both men's and women's basketball. Yeah. There you go. Should be fun. And, and, and conference preseason co-player of the year, K.K. Wright. We'll get to talk to there her. There you today. go. See, are you happy, Jeffrey? You campaigned, and now the, the yeah, people I, it's have happened. And, by the way, co-players of the, of the year with uh, with Crystal Dangerfield, too, so of, of UConn, who, by the way, really liked, really liked her. I thought she was... Uh, uh, a superstar in the making. So, all right, um, let's wrap this puppy up. We've got. Uh, don't forget, obviously, to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and of course, follow not just us but also Luke Saris and Jeremy Brenner and all of us uh, as well on Twitter for all the latest, including. Uh, by the way, after the ECU game, we're going to roll with another uh, with another night shift after the game. Probably won't be a long one, hopefully, unless something terrible happens, but. Oh. Well, you know, you, me and Murph are out. We're both working the game. Yeah, I'll you be- guys. It'll be me and Jeremy and probably a wild card in there. Maybe. I'm not 100% sure. Go. But we'll we'll uh, we'll figure it out from I'm gonna there. Be busy. I'm going to be busy trying to get Murph some cafe caliente after. 
Ooh. That means, now we're talking. That means hot coffee for those. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. We've made, we've caused enough trouble for for Eric and Brian. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the game on Saturday.